Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Today, uh, it is part six. I can't believe how quickly the time flies. I'm always thinking it can't, can't really be six weeks we've been doing this series, but it is. Uh, and today I want to uh, preface the question uh, by reading the key text. Matthew 6 and 7. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I think many of us have that awareness that God is omnipotent, omniscient. He knows all there is to know. Uh, and yeah, I read verses like that that tell me God knows what I need before I even ask him. It prompts today's question, why do I need to pray at all? God knows all there is to know. Why bother asking him? If the Father knows what we need before we ask him, why spend time asking him for things that he knows we already need? I mean, it sounds like a huge waste of our time and a huge waste of God's time to be talking to him about things he already knows and to somehow think we're making him aware of needs he already is aware of. But the instruction here is, even though your father knows what you need, we still need to ask him. And we need to unpack this this morning. In fact, I think it's critical we understand this. Because I guarantee that if I asked us all to stick our hands up, if we don't pray enough, every hand in this building would go up, including mine. And I think sometimes the reason Christians don't pray enough is simply because we do not fully understand the function, the nature, and the critical importance of prayer. And if we don't understand prayer, then we're not going to give it the space in our lives that prayer should occupy. So, if God is sovereign and his will is perfect, why do we pray prayers believing that things will actually change? I mean, why do we bother praying for people, praying for circumstances, when it would appear God has the last say anyway? And it prompts a really challenging thought. If somebody came up to you and asked you why you pray, I wonder what kind of answer we would give. Maybe our answer would go something like this. Well, you know, God is our heavenly father. And just like an earthly father, he likes it when his children come to ask him for things, even though he's aware of the needs of his own child. But what it does, it expresses a child's dependence upon the father 
So our Heavenly Father likes us to ask Him for things, even though He knows what we need. Now, that's kind of a good answer, and maybe there is an element of truth in it, but I wonder if that's actually answer enough. Friends, let me say this today. Even though God knows everything there is to know, even though God knows what we need, we still need to understand that there are things in our lives that will only ever be realised in and through prayer. And if that wasn't true, then there's a whole bunch of unnecessary scriptures in the Word of God. Verses like James 4 and 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. Because friends, putting it simply, praying makes a difference. But still, the question many people ask is, well, if God knows everything there is to know, what's the point of me spending time telling God things he, <coughs> excuse me, he already knows? I mean, why do I pray for somebody in hospital and say, God, you know, please bless Bob Smith in hospital, help the operation to go well? Does God in response to that prayer go, oh man, Bob Smith, I was wondering where he was. He kind of vanished off the face of the earth. Now I know, thanks for the heads up. God doesn't do that, obviously. God knows everything there is to know. So why do I bother spending time telling him things? Secondly, if God has plans, and he does, and his plans are good, and they are, why do we spend time making suggestions as to what I think God ought to do in a particular situation? Friends, the truth is you and I could never ever make a suggestion to God that he had already thought of anyway. I'd never pray and say, Lord, would you please do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. And God goes, man, you're good. I never thought of any of that. And again, it's a ridiculous thing to say. We know that would never happen. So why bother praying? Why not just say, well, Lord, in all things, in all places, your will be done. Amen. And that kind of just nails it. I mean, it would save a lot of time, wouldn't it? Well, as we look at the examples in the Bible, apparently not. I mean, why did Jesus himself spend all night in prayer? Why does the Apostle Paul encourage us to pray without ceasing? Why are there instances all the way through the Word of God where people prayed and prayed and prayed and something supernatural and miraculous happened as a result? So we need to unpack this today. And in order to unpack it and answer the question or help to answer the question, why pray? I will pose another question that seems very unrelated, and that's why did God create human beings? It's not unrelated, but let me go down that rabbit warren for a second. If we rewind right back to the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, we discover two purposes for God creating human beings. Genesis 1 and 26, let us make man in our image. And as we've unpacked on many occasions, when it says in our image, it is that we 
as God's children, would demonstrate the moral uh, character of God. That we would display in our lives the nature and the character of God. That what, that's what it means for humans to be created in His image. Then the second reason God created human beings continues on. Let us make man in our image and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created us firstly in his image. Second reason he created us was to give us authority and dominion over God's creation, over the earth. And whilst it was God's purpose that mankind would exercise that authority over the earth, the way that it was designed to work was in a relationship with God, in total submission to God, in total dependency upon God, which means if you viewed uh, creation and the Garden of Eden before uh, Adam and Eve fell into sin, it functioned in absolute perfection. Perfect relationship with God. And the earth functioned perfectly under the dominion of mankind. It was a beautiful place. They lived in total harmony with God. They lived in total harmony with creation. But when Adam and Eve fell, the nature of their sin was for them to act independently of the will of the Father. Interestingly, we looked at last time, that's the same nature of the temptations that the devil offered Jesus. And the nature of Adam and Eve's sin was to rebel, no longer to live in obedience to the Father, but they lived independently and disobediently. And when they disobeyed God, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve died. They didn't drop dead physically, they died spiritually. Ephesians 4 and 18 tells us they became separated from the life of God. Then as a result of that original sin, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 and 22, in Adam all die. That simply means that every single human being born into the world is born in a state of spiritual separation from God. And that's why Jesus and the cross was totally necessary. Because you and I are born in a state where we are separated from God. Not only that, but we're also told that the whole of creation fell. The creation that we were given authority over. Romans 8 and 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Creation fell so much to such an extent that Jesus on three occasions calls Satan the devil the prince of the world. Interesting title. Why is Satan called the prince of the world? Is it because he defeated God? Friends, obviously no, it's not. He never can defeat God. Never can, never will. Satan is prince of this world, not because he defeated God, but because he defeated human beings to whom God gave dominion 
over this world. And friends, this is exactly why prayer is important. Because get a hold of this. You and I, mankind, are still charged with the responsibility of authority over creation, over the world. And in the exercise of that authority, we can keep God out, as Adam did, or we can invite God in. So when we look at the world around us today, the crazy world that it is, and we wonder what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with the world is people. There's no question that the world is in a mess, but it's not because God has lost control. Friends, God is sovereign and God is in total control. But God in His sovereignty gave to human beings the responsibility of dominion over His creation. And that's why the world is in the mess that it is today. Because that responsibility of exercising dominion over the earth didn't stop the day that Adam sinned. But as a consequence of sin, we became separated from the spiritual life of God and the whole of the human race no longer lives in perfect harmony with God and in perfect harmony with creation. The human race is no longer governed by God. The human race is now governed by self-interest and greed and evil. And we're no longer exercising dominion over the earth and its resources in total submission to God in a way that maintains the balance of creation as God intended. We have largely rejected the God of creation and become the totally self-governed, self-centered Lord of our own lives. And the earth and its resources simply fuel our greed. And mankind no longer serves as the custodians and stewards of God's creation. Instead, creation serves our greed. So what does all this have to do with prayer? Prayer, friends, is so vitally important because it is the key to getting us back to living a life that is in harmony with God, in harmony with others, and in harmony with creation. The Apostle Paul says something really interesting in Ephesians 6 and 18. He says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now, us Pentecostals got all really excited about this because we mean, think it means you can pray in tongues 24-7. Now, it may include that, but it's something far deeper than that. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? I would suggest this morning that to pray in the Spirit is to pray with the mind of the Spirit from the perspective of the Spirit. What do I mean by that? I would suggest that about 90% of the prayer life of the average Christian is not prayed from the perspective of the Spirit, but rather prayers that come from our own perspective. Dear God, I have an exam today. Please help me with that. Dear God, Arnie Mavis has got the shingles. Please help ease that pain. 
Uh, Dear God, I've got to preach this morning. Help me with that. Now, they're understandable prayers. They're good prayers. They're important prayers. There's nothing wrong with those kinds of prayers. But when Paul says pray in the Spirit on all occasions, the context of that comment is he is speaking about a spiritual battle that we are in. We back up to verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, prince of the earth, prince of the world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And praying in the Spirit is allowing our minds and our spirits to be aligned with God to perceive and to discern this spiritual battle from God's perspective. And friends, we're praying, when we're praying, one of the things we need to be doing is saying, God, don't just go to God with your to-do list. It's important stuff. We need to be praying interceding, yes. But God, that you would transform my mind. Help me to see things, God, from your perspective. Help me to perceive what is going on in the world around me. Teach me, God, to pray from your perspective. Does that make sense? And friends, we need to see that one of the key functions of prayer is about giving God access. And this is certainly true on a personal level. And I've said this on a number of occasions, and I'll continue to say it. Every single one of us in this building here this morning is actually as near to God as we choose to be. To the extent which you say, God, have your will in my life. He will have his way. To the extent, the extent to which we say, God, stay out. God will stay out. And it's why the Bible is very, very clear and warns us. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit because we can do just that. And one of the functions of prayer is that beautiful privilege we have of bringing God in to any and every situation. I'm going to read to you a verse in Matthew chapter 16. And this is Jesus uh, talking about his church. Interesting, Jesus only talks about the church on two occasions, both in Matthew chapter 16 and chapter 18. So here in chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And friends, there's two important parts to this statement. The first part is that Jesus says, God is giving to the church the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Let me read the same verses from the message. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. 
keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven and no on earth is a no in heaven. You got to get a hold of this. He says, you will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. This is awesome. But the second thing that is so important for us to understand as you read these verses, the initiative starts with us. The initiative starts with us. You've got to get a hold of this today. If, if you can get a hold of this one point, it is going to change your motivation to pray. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We might have expected it to be phrased the other way around, that whatever is bound in heaven will become bound on earth. Whatever is loosed in heaven will become loosed on earth. But he doesn't say that. He says, what is bound on, heaven, bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The initiative rests with us. The initiative takes place not in heaven, but on earth. And to help us understand this, we've got to understand a little bit about this sentence structure in the original language, New Testament Greek. They had a, have a word construction that we don't have in English that is called the perfect future tense. The perfect future tense. And what that means literally is this. Whatever you bind on earth... It's already bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, it's already loosed in heaven. And here it is. Listen to this. There are things in heaven waiting to be bound on the earth. Things in heaven waiting to be loosed on the earth, but they're not bound or they're not loosed until the church to whom Jesus addressed this, until the church acts in its authority and the dominion that God has given it. And there it is. Yeah. And interestingly, the second time that Jesus talks about this church in Matthew 18... And verse 18, and this sounds familiar, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He repeats the same statement, but then the context in verse 19 is prayer. Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. So he repeats the statement from Matthew 16, but he adds to it. What is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. What is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. What you ask for on earth will be given to you from heaven. It's in the context of prayer. And friends, one of the blessings, the great blessings of prayer, is that you and I invite God into any and every situation. We can invite Him to be a part of everything that happens in our life. Realising that God's strategy has always been people. God's plan for the world is executed through people, through His church. 
God's plan is always people. And again, that doesn't lessen the sovereignty of God. It's just that God in his sovereignty has chosen to work that way. And that includes you. And here is the simple truth. Wherever God is at work in the world, you will find people praying. Can I hear an amen? And when we pray, we are placing ourselves in total dependency on God and saying, God, in this situation, would you work? And in exercising the authority that is given, God has given to the human race, we can keep Him out and act as though we're self-sufficient, that we don't need God. Or we can bring Him in and see God work. Friends, God is at work in people's lives. We've seen that this morning. Praise God. And wherever you find God at work, you will find people praying. This is exciting, friends. God is working because people is praying. But let me say this, and this is really important for us to understand this. With this mind, okay, God, you've given us dominion. You've given us authority over creation, over this earth. Uh, so God, this is what you should do here. You should do this. This is what you should do. God, do this. And our expectation is that God would do that. Friends, God doesn't answer to anybody. Prayer isn't making threats to God. In fact, we cannot make God do what He doesn't want to do. But we can prevent Him from doing what He does want to do. You've gone quiet. We can't make God do what He doesn't want to do. But we can prevent him from doing what he does want to do. Psalm 78 and 41. Yes, again and again, they tempted God. Listen to this. And limited the Holy One of Israel. Wow. They limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited God. They prevented God doing what God wanted to do. And we've got to hold that. We cannot make him do what he doesn't want to do, but we can limit him doing what he would do. It's why in Acts chapter 7, um, Stephen was speaking to the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. And he says in Acts 7 and 51, you're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You're resisting what God wants to do. And that's the context. God wants to do something, but you wouldn't let him do it. There was an occasion where Jesus weeps over Jerusalem in Matthew 23 and 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. You were not willing. Friends, prayer... And intercession is bringing God into every situation, not to get Him to serve our desires and wants, but in order that His will, His purpose might be fulfilled in and through us. Does that make sense? 
We've got to be people of prayer. We've got to be people who recognize the authority that God has given to us, the dominion that God has entrusted us with. We've got to be people who in prayer say, God, the only way that this is going to work is in prayerful submission to you, in right relationship with you, in partnership with you. That as we pray and seek God, that He would give us insight, that He would give us wisdom. You know, the Bible talks about the men of Issachar who knew the times in which, which they lived. And I love that. That's about the only mention the men of Issachar get. But they knew the times. They were dialed into God. And they knew how to address things. They, and, and I believe the same for us. In prayer, we align ourselves with the will and the purposes of God. And we once more can exercise that dominion and authority that God has given us in humble submission to Him. But finally, let me say this. Prayer is not powerful. When I say that, I'm talking about the act of prayer. It's not a mantra. God is powerful. The act of prayer in and of itself is not powerful on its own. God alone is powerful. And friends, there is an incredibly needy world that God has chosen to reach through people like you and me. That's why we need to be people of prayer. Not people just hanging on by the skin of our teeth trying to get through to the end of the week, but people who know the authority of God in our life. People who are serious about impacting this world that God wants to impact through us. And we've got to take that challenge seriously, recognising that God gives to us all that we need to be the people of God in the world today, to bring the transformation that God does desire. It's a needy world and you and I are the vessels God has chosen to address that need. Maybe in view of all that I've said, maybe that's why prayer for most of us is one of the most difficult things because it's actually one of the most important things. Amen? It's through prayer we build our relationship with God. It's through prayer that we build intimacy with God. But through prayer, through that relationship with God, we actually receive full and complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth. Earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. And no on earth is a no in heaven. You know, sometimes I hear people so often say, in response to a need or something, say, oh, look, all I can do is pray, as if it's kind of somewhere down the bottom of the list. I, I tell you what, I think that's the most important thing. We need to be a people of prayer. That's why sitting here in Tasmania today, we can actually have an impact in the outermost parts of the world just as we draw together and pray. We can make a difference in people's lives, even people that we've never seen that God lays sovereignly upon our hearts. And we see God work and we see things happen. I'll say it again. Any great movement of God has always involved a movement of prayer.
And there's the challenge. We, we've, we've got to stop thinking of prayer as one of the functions or ministries in the life of the church and recognize it is the life of the church. Prayer is the work of God. Everything else that we do, friends, is a result of prayer. I hope that makes sense. I'm going to invite the team to come back and invite us to pray together. We pray that God would continue to build in us this desire, this burden to be a people of prayer so that God will move, first of all, in our lives and then move in the world around us. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so grateful this morning that we have access to you. And I've hardly scratched the surface this morning, but the cool thing is we don't have to understand how all of this works. But we do understand that in your sovereignty, you've chosen to work in us and through us to fulfill your purposes in the world today. God, make us people who know what it is to be totally dependent upon you. People who would be praying in all circumstances with all kinds of prayers and requests. People who recognize the responsibility of the dominion and authority that you've given us over this earth. And that we would exercise that in total submission to you. That we would be praying in the Spirit on all occasions from the perspective of the Spirit. May we also be people of intercession totally relied upon you and your Holy Spirit to open the hearts and lives of people who we know and who love who at this moment are so distant from you may there be that miracle of the Spirit of God even as we've experienced in this room this morning opening the hearts bringing that conviction drawing them to you and your love your grace your forgiveness your salvation God, finally, forgive us, forgive us for neglecting the power of prayer. In repentance, we ask you to change our hearts and our attitudes towards the activity of prayer. Transform us into faithful, faith-filled prayers. We pray this in Jesus' name for your glory and for our benefit. God's people said.